it's time to turn out the lights, grab some popcorn, and watch some horrible horror movies. This is the Terrible Terror Podcast, in which each episode I delve into the world of terrible horror movies. Why do I do it? Well, I can't really explain it, but I love these horrible movies. If you've made a horror movie on your phone, or made your own special effects MacGyver style, please send it my way. Now... What do you get when you realize the film that you plan to review is a lot shorter than you originally realized? Why, you get the Terrible Terror double feature. Hello and welcome to another episode, and yes, I did mess up a little bit, but uh, you guys get two short films for the price of one. One that I'm pretty sure is going to come out of left field, um, and the other one uh, is what I did talk about last week. Now, let me just roll through this a little bit. So, uh, I was contacted by Fatal Pictures uh, to look at their short film, Air. And uh, I did do just that. Uh, And I understand the premise of the podcast, but this is kind of weird because it's not... I'm going to come right and say it. It's not a horrible film. Uh, It is a short film, and it's a lot shorter than I thought it was going to be with a runtime of only 13 minutes. See, originally when I saw the stuff, I thought, oh, well, it's probably going to run about 30 minutes, and I could fill a whole podcast on a 30-minute short film, no problem. Uh a 13-minute short film is a lot more difficult to do to try to stretch out. And I'm not saying that I want to make this a two-hour-long podcast or our normal runtime. It's usually between 100 and, uh, well, an hour and 20 minutes and about an hour and 40 minutes. So I didn't want to shortchange anybody. So I decided this time that I'm going to pull Audible for this episode. So when you see the title, it's going to say Double Feature. Uh, And it's not going to tell you the movies that are inside. And I purposely did that so that I could surprise you with what the second movie is going to be. So, for this episode, we're going to start with the review for Air. uh, And then we're going to move on to the second one. And I won't say what it's going to be until after the intermission. So, there will be an intermission of sorts that's going to be the shout-outs for this episode for the podcast. I think that you should be checking out. Or the people I think that you, maybe you should be following on Twitter. Uh, there's a great 31 in 31 for Halloween movies hashtag that you can follow. Um, that is uh, everybody sharing their love of horror for the month of October. Uh, and I think you should check that out. Uh, and that's the only thing I think I'm going to shout out currently. So let me go through uh, kind of the beginnings of for air and then we'll go through it and just like a normal review and then we'll intermission come back and you get to hear what the second movie is so there isn't really a theme song this time and that's why i use the double feature from the rocky horror picture show uh because one that's probably my favorite song from the rocky horror picture show maybe maybe time warp is a better song but in general uh we're doing two films and the first one again really short uh but I am, like I said before, this isn't a bad movie. It's not, it's really well done for a 12-minute short. The tension, the acting, it's all good. Maybe the only thing that's kind of cheesy is the makeup on uh, the monster, quote-unquote. 
but it is a very heavy, heavy film. Because it's not what I what I thought it was going to be, to be honest with you. I know there was a lot of things surrounding what uh, kind of the, what the, the little script the director sent me um, that really kind of encapsulated a lot more than I thought it was going to be. Um, but uh, for this, you can check it out. Um, I believe you can follow uh, Fatal Pictures uh, on Twitter. And uh, they are uh, at Fatal Pictures. Hey, look at that. Uh, Who would have guessed it? (laughs) You can check them out to see when they're actually going to release this pass because this is behind. um, I watched it on Vimeo uh, and it is behind a password wall. So it's not quite yet released to the public. Uh, You can also follow Zach Green. It's... uh, random hero but it's spelled a-r-a-n-d-i-m and then hero is normal h-e-r-o all one word and he was the one that actually originally contacted me and then i did get contacted again by fatal pictures to look at this um and i've never done something like this before and it's kind of weird and kind of daunting um but i'm glad that this was the first film that i've done like that because it's something like i said it's very short and small and I thought it was a pretty well done little short. And there's some really good actors in this film. Uh, primarily the guy that plays Dennis, um, which is, I th- oh boy, it, isn't it like me to not be ready for the podcast and to uh, <laughs> not find out? Uh, who these actors are and the time that's everything going on? Uh, but it's Bill. Uh, Oberst Jr. I'm probably totally screwing that up, but dude is fucking excellent in this film for the role he needs to portray. Uh, I I wish there was more. And he this guy is in a lot of films, kind of in smaller roles, and he's very creepy. And that's what he's really supposed to be doing here. Uh, and uh, you know, we we can go on from there. So without further ado, let's just go ahead and start the review for Air. So it opens up with a father uh, who's it's Robert Nolan playing the character of Gordon and he's having like an email conversation back and forth and it's kind of again everything in this is really creepy and I'm gonna give my final thoughts on what I think the allegory of the story is at the end and and again this is very heavy uh, and the lighthearted stuff will come later uh, but he's it's going back and forth with him taking pictures uh, of his son and then cropping what I believe is the uh, the son's mother, which it could be the wife uh, of him, but that's not really kind of explained. But you just see him photoshopping just the son and putting him into like the emails and talking with the guy. And then they're going back and forth saying play date, um, which is really kind of creepy. And he has this thing in his center of his hand, Gordon does that has like pus a little bit coming out of it and then that's when we cut to the next scene after the title card comes up and we see Gordon talking with his son Paul so uh you sure I never mentioned my friend Dennis to you before yeah I'm sure maybe you were too young I remember hmm? yeah. last time he saw you you were just me high Maybe. 
Dad, can I please go yeah, to the washroom? Yeah, yeah, just hang on. Well, let me stop. Now, there's a couple of things that are kind of going on this this scene. And uh, one, I wish the volume was a little bit higher on the radio because the radio actually is giving some very important information to the viewer of this short. And it's talking about uh, a, attacks on kids um, in the area with a older man that has ties to this Ontario school. Yes, this does take place in Canada, and I believe this is a Canadian production as well. Uh, and so you have him driving his kid kind of, I'm assuming towards that area or more rural area that's out there. Uh, and you're hearing about attacks on local or Ontario based kids, but it's so low that that's parts kind of hard to make out. And it really didn't take until I put on headphones to make it out clearly. Uh, and I tried to adjust the volume a little bit so that you can get a, a little more of that sound. But um, in the context of the film, it's a little difficult to hear. Uh, so they end up going uh, onwards uh, after his son uses the loo. Uh, and they meet Dennis, who is his friend. That None of us really believe that this guy is his friend because the interactions that they have when they come into contact with each other are already pretty goddamn odd. I've been good. Just glad we finally decided to get together. I mean, we've been talking about it so long, right? So you're Paul. Yeah, told me all about you. Been telling stories, sending pictures. There ain't nothing like the real thing. Isn't that right, Dad? Okay, so there's a couple things in the scene that are going on. One, uh, if I was this kid, I would be creeped the fuck out, especially the way that he's talking about it, and to find out that my father's been sending my picture off to people I've never met or don't even remember talking to. Uh, maybe some red flags would go up in the back of my head. Secondly. Paul is playing a 2DS while he's sitting there at the table. And I know for a lot of you are like, what's the fucking relevance of having a 2DS? It's not the fact that it's a 2DS or a DS or whatever the fuck game, you know, system, handheld system that he's playing at the table. It's that he's actually playing it like a handheld system. I know, this is weird, but this really pisses me off in a lot of films when people are playing video games. Even on TV, you don't move your fucking fingers so much it's like we gotta pay attention to what he's doing on his hands because he's just gonna be you know it's boring just to watch him like play it like a normal game if you're playing something you may be just moving the left uh you know analog stick for the most part you know especially like myself playing role-playing games i don't do a whole lot even in a racing game the only time that you're gonna be a button presser is if you can't play a fighting game like mortal Kombat or street fighter you know, you're just a guy that just fucking pressing buttons so that I maybe can get a move off and he can't attack. And then you're pissing off the guy that really knows every fucking combo in the game. And 
eventually he quits because he's like, you're not taking this fucking seriously. Like, I am taking it seriously. I just don't know how to play this fucking game. And then he yells at you some more and you're like, fine, maybe I'll just go play something else. But no, this kid just actually plays it like he would be playing a video game. And it actually kind of gives you a sense of that he's oblivious to kind of what's going on and what's going on around him because he's so in-depth into actually playing that game. And here is Creep McCreeperson over here fucking, like, almost drooling over the kid. Uh, and it's just weird. <laughs> but it's a well-framed scene and it's a well-designed uh, introduction to Dennis and his character. So they finish up their conversation at the diner and then they go over to Dennis's house. Now, at Dennis's house, they kind of get more try to get more chummy chummy buddy buddy like he tries to find out more about them and dennis actually asks about paul's activities now before he does this though he does give paul something to drink and he keeps talking to uh gordon and asking him whether or not he's hungry and this is kind of a running theme and you'll understand a little more later on the film but uh he starts talking dennis starts talking to paul kind of about hobbies and what gordon's never really done for him Hey, Paul, what should we do today, hmm? You got any ideas? What do you think, Dad? Not fishing. <laughs> what do you say, Paul? Your dad ever take you? Mm-mm. Really? Well, now, I don't know about her father never taught his boy to bait a hook or cast a line. Something special about all that time alone on the water... Allows for a special kind of bonding, you know. It's kind of weird that he talks about fishing and being alone and kind of out there and creating that bonding when you kind of see what happens later in the film. Gordon replies to thing. He says, no, his son's more about sports or we're more about sports. So it's more of a team public type of activity that keeps everybody together. And when he goes and looks over and says, right, Paul, Paul is knocked the fuck out so there must have been something within that drink to make him uh knock out basically dennis drugged him and gordon starts freaking out a little bit just let him nap or would you prefer him awake she hadn't thought this through have you hmm hmm Maybe this whole thing was some kind of misunderstanding. So you see in this situation, Gordon's very timid about whatever is going to happen next. But Dennis, he's really going ham on this shit. I mean, he's done this probably so many times. And Gordon, this is like his first time of... Which is, you're kind of... There are thoughts going through in your head. And I probably think that you guys think the same things that I thought. Just listening to this while I was watching the film. And this is where the film takes a little bit of a weird turn. Not in terms of your your thoughts, but in terms of it becoming that horror film. I mean, everything so far is very intense uh, and it's creepy as hell. But then you get to the next scene where we walk in and they're talking outside. Gordon asks, and you kind of heard in the little teaser trailer last week... Uh, if what he gave him was going to hurt him at all. And, and again, with the teaser trailer, 
it makes this so much different the way that that was cut versus the way the movie actually works out. So uh, he tells him that he's going to be out for an hour, basically. And, you know, if you want him to do that or you just want to go home, that's up to you. So we then cut to the scene, the next scene where we have Gordon. He's inside the room and his face is facing the door. And there's the one thing that's kind of weird about it, and maybe it's just the room that they used, is that the door has that blue tape uh, covering the outside uh, of the door like the painting tape, right? So it looks like somebody freshly painted it but either forgot to remove that or there's some weird symbolism in that where you're kind of looking at it and it's, it's kind of foreign to the rest of the room, kind of the way that Gordon is feeling foreign to the whole situation. Of course, I could be looking at this in a totally different way. And like I said, it could have just been uh, we forgot and that's the best take that we had, which kind of hope that's not the case, but uh, I'll give that a pass for this film. So he turns around and then on the bed we see Paul. And originally I didn't think it was Paul. I thought it was somebody else. Like this was some sort of like child swap where he's going after Dennis's son and Dennis is going after his son. But it turns out that's actually Paul in the bed and Gordon goes over to Paul, places his hand on him and you see he's covered with a uh, like a, a hood and he's all in these weird white clothes, and he's got the shoulder down, kind of like, I don't know, like those 80s jumper type of shirts where, you know, the when you see it on, you can see the bra, but it was over the shoulder. Something like that, like an oversized shirt. That's a better way to put it. And he tries to reassure his son that everything is going to be okay, and he puts the hand that has that weird little thing on it on his shoulder, and it, like, starts to suck the life force out of Paul. And he pulls away at the last minute. And that's when Dennis enters the room. It's something, isn't it? I had a feeling. Wasn't sure, of course. I knew my gut was telling me something. Then I had a look at Paul. He was untouched. Not a mark on him. I thought, that's odd. Now it all makes sense, doesn't it? So at this point, Dennis goes behind Paul and his arm starts like shaking and pulsating. And then you see this giant, like his arm transformed into a giant green tentacle type thing that he attaches to Paul and starts sucking the life force out of him directly. And he's got this face on him that is like orgasmic enjoyment of pulling the life out of the kid and it's obvious that there's <laughs> there's something weird going on now because that's some sort of monster and I guess Gordon has that inside of him too but he somehow he hides it which Dennis points out I don't know how you hit it for so long must have been hell and I don't understand maybe he believes that he can't you know, Gordon doesn't want to face that side of him, and he, he's trying to figure out what's going on by doing this. Like, this is the first time that he's ever reached out to anybody that has the same afflictions as him to basically feast on his own son. And uh, he, it's weird because he starts like, Gordon starts, 
what looks like jizzing out of his hand. Like this liquid just keeps spewing out all over the places and it's white and it's thick and it's creamy and it's... Yeah, I can't think of anything other than what that must be. And uh, he he starts to control it a little bit and that's when Dennis knocks his ass out. And Dennis knocks him out and well by putting a plastic bag over his head trying to kill him. And then Gordon in the next scene, he wakes up and he's got the plastic bag on his head and his hands have been tied and his legs are all roped together. And he's in another room and you see some hands over in the corner and it looks like somebody else that the life's been sucked out of. Uh, and it, I'll explain a little more in post the, the thing when I saw the, what the credits were for that character. And, um, well, it was actually on IMDb. So you have that. He sees a box cutter over in the corner. He goes over there, opens up all the bandages and everything. Not bandages, but tape and all the other shit. And then uh, goes on a rampage to save his son. He kills the fully transformed Dennis, which is this weird green monster thing. And honestly, that's probably one of the least impressive things about the whole film in general. Uh, was the monster makeup. Like, I thought the tentacle thing was really cool. The arm pulsing thing looked great. Uh, the whole transformation of the arm into the tentacle. And then you see the actual monster, and you're just kind of like, uh, okay, kind of looks like Greedo uh, from the Star Wars movies. It's the only thing I can kind of... Like, a mix between the creature from the Black Lagoon and Greedo from Star Wars. Put them together, give him a long fucking tentacle arm, and that's it. Well, he, since he's feeding on Paul, he's a little distractive. And Gordon takes that box cutter that he used to free himself from the, uh, you know, all the bandages and everything and the tape uh, and the rope. Uh, and then he stabs the living shit out of Dennis the monster and escapes with his son Paul. And this is kind of also cut in between him hugging onto his son, telling Paul it's all going to be okay. And, and then you see the the stuff start forming more on his hand as he's uh sucking or as he's hugging onto his son saying that maybe he's actually still doing what he didn't want to do and then the movie kind of ends and it's it's just really abrupt on that last little thing and uh overall i i think that this film is very interesting and it's it's a pretty good film. I give this film uh four to five goo holes uh because it's the way the acting is done is very good. Uh Bill who plays Dennis is fucking amazing. I I can't say anything else other than that. There really isn't a whole lot of gore. It's it's not really a fun movie. I have to say that uh and it's not crappy so it does get a good score for this and i can't really rate it on those uh, normal three types i mean i i guess if you did have to the gore is like a two uh the fun factor is like a one and the crap factor is a one um it's a good it doesn't have to be fun to be a good film and the thing is is that it's a very heavy film because it's a I believe it to be a very good allegory of pedophilia about somebody dealing with it. Because the dead body that was found, when you look on INDB, the person that played the role of the dead body is uh, is labeled a pedophile. So you have a monster that is basically dis- <laughs> disguising himself as a pedophile um, to feed on kids. 
and it's very weird. And you have Gordon, who is somehow one of those monsters, but has been hiding it for so long and finally decided to reach out and find out somebody that had the same type of either uh, powers as him, uh, was the same type of person as him, uh, and try it for the first time. But he decided to try it on his son, and it's very disturbing. And you see that at the end of the film, too, when he's holding on to his son in the the hand, the goo starts growing more and more and more because that's what happened in the beginning. Like, he saved his life and he saved him from being attacked by one monster, but in the end, it's his father that was the monster. Uh, it's a monster as well and attacks him, too. And it's it's very heavy to talk about this in the form of a horror film, and I think that this is done very well in that way. Now, the title, Air makes me believe it's like a generational thing passed down from one to another the the whole system of abuse right so he's a monster he knows he's going to give it to his son maybe his son is going to grow the same type of monstrous feelings and he's going to do the same thing because you know maybe his dad was a monster and did it to him but he broke free of it but now he's doing it to son and he's passing down that same generation of uh sucking up kids and it's it's really kind of it's a difficult subject to approach uh and i do think that this film does it well i think that it's genuinely creepy uh i wished there was more of it 12 minutes 13 minutes is not enough for this type of film that is the one reason that stops it from me giving it a full uh five out of five instead of a four out of five is there are some things that I kind of want fleshed out more. I want more about Gordon. I want a, a little bit slower build-up with Dennis. Give him more screen time to kind of ease the kid into everything so that it's not necessarily we go from one thing. And the kid's just, Paul's never really freaked out. He's more of like one of those you know stereotypical millennial-type kids where it's just like, whatever i'll just do okay dad said go along so i'm gonna go along and i don't really give a shit about what's going on and then shit happens to him even when stuff happens he doesn't remember that it even happens yet he was kind of crying it's weird because he's crying out loud while he's in the room all covered in crap so uh if you get a chance to watch it i'd say go ahead let's give it a try uh and i think that you would enjoy it uh on its base level uh in terms of being a creepy kind of setting, uh, it is like I said. When if if I'm wrong on the allegory of it, uh, then it's not as heavy as a movie. But just looking at that, and it's it seems almost blatant. Uh, but that that is there, and you you know it, it creates a much heavier movie than just a simple horror film. So that's it for air. Uh, and now we're going to do a quick intermission, uh, have a couple shout outs, and then we'll be right back with the second half of our double feature.
Why, hello there, kitties. And thank you for listening to the Terrible Terror Podcast. Well, I enjoy that you listen to this. If you love horror-based podcasts, why not check out these fine entities? The Gore Horseman Podcast. Or Beyond the Veil Cast. There's also the Heavy Metal Horror Class. Yes, Heavy Metal and Horror. As well as Final Girls Horror Cast. You can find them on all your favorite devices. Now, I shall leave my bad impression of a scary guy to get you back into the second half of our double feature. <laughs> That guy was a little over fucking dramatic, don't you think? Uh, and he totally forgot to tell where you could follow these guys, too. Uh, all on Twitter, you can follow Gore Horseman Podcast. That's at Gore Horse Pod. Uh, Beyond the Veil Cast is at BTV Cast. And Heavy Metal Horror Cast is at HMH Cast. And Final Girls Horror is at Final Girls HC. Also, I want to give one other shout out to the Drunken Dork Pod, and you can follow it at the Drunken Dork uh, on Twitter as well as they've been very, very supportive of the podcast, and I appreciate it. Uh, so now the mystery short uh, film, and before I tell you what it is, I'm gonna still keep you hanging on there for a second. I want to talk about it and talk about it in the terms of October and Halloween. Now, this is going to be really weird, and it's not something that I'd consider bad as well. It's just a product of its time for a lot of it. But there was always a set of things as a kid that I'd watch uh, every Halloween it came through. And a lot of them had to do with Disney specials. There was always the Disney Halloween that you went through and had all the different shorts, and it had like Nyan Bald Mountain segment cut out from Fantasia, uh, a bunch of Mickey Mouse and Donald Duck shorts, you know, as well as some of the other cartoons that are like the Halloween episodes for like uh, Garfield, let's say. You know, you watch those things and uh, it's something that kind of became a regular around my house. And one of the things that I really like to watch still, if I get the chance to, is The Legend of Sleepy Hollow by Disney. Now, I know what you're saying. This is something that's not really a horror film, but you know what? It has those qualities to it, especially the second half of the whole film. And when I realized that air was so short and I couldn't really keep talking about it, nitpick it as much as I wanted to, uh, I decided, what the hell? I'm going to take you guys down a nostalgic trip down memory lane for me and give you the terrible terror review of The Legend of Sleepy Hollow. Now, yes, is it cheesy? It's very cheesy. But it's 1949. You have to imagine that in the time that this was made, this was pretty far out there, even for Disney, for some of the stuff that they did. And it was weird because it's always kind of been paired with um, 
that wind in the willows short mr toad's wild ride uh and there's nothing really kind of scary about that except for that he does have a part where i guess he goes to hell uh or at least he imagined that he goes to hell where he sees the judge and it's it's weird that it gets kind of paired that way uh but i think just as a standalone short this is a very good film uh though you do get a lot of bing crosby Uh, Because he narrates the whole thing. He's the voice of every single male character. And really the only female voices you hear are the backup singers when they sing for the women in the town. So let's go ahead and take that trip. And I present to you the legend of Sleepy Hollow. So Bing Crosby starts it. And he starts it by, it's weird. It's got some weird type of like stop motion type thing where a book comes out of the, uh, the shelf. It's about to say the closet, and that would be very weird, but it does come off the shelf, and it starts opening up upon the story. And as it does that, Bing is talking about how, yes, there are a lot of uh, British tales that are out there, uh, but the Americans have some of their own. And so uh, he opens the Arthur Wright story, and we begin The Legend of Sleepy Hollow. And he starts talking about the town, and then we walk upon Ichabod Crane. And he starts giving a very kind of laughable description about him. The worthy pedagogue was described as a most unusual man. To see him striding along, one might well mistake him for some scarecrow eloped from a cornfield. He was tall, but exceedingly lank. His head was small and flat on top with a long snipe nose so that it looked like a weathercock perched upon his spindle neck. <laughs> Altogether, he was such an apparition as is seldom to be seen in broad daylight. Okay, that's pretty fucked up right there, Bing. You're basically calling him a nerd or a shut-in, and then you're talking about how fucking ugly this guy is. You know, I understand that he's a very tall, kind of lanky guy, his face is always buried in a book, in Disney, you know, you're doing something bad to him, too. You give him this huge fucking nose. Like, his face is basically just nose, big-ass ears, and hair with a pink bow on it. But that bow seems to be a running theme throughout the whole short. All the guys that have long hair all have that, and I don't know if that's something to signify that they're more noble than everybody else. Ah, fuck if I don't know. So we go away from Ichabod and we go into town and they talk about how everybody hangs out at the local pub and then we get introduction into Ichabod's rival Brom. And though Brom was much given to madcap pranks and practical jokes, still there was no malice in his mischief. Indeed with his waggish humor and prodigious strength, Brom Bones was quite the hero of all the country round. Okay, so this guy's like Gaston before Gaston's Gaston, if you get my drift. He's all big and burly, and he's scaring the shit out of everybody, and they say, oh, well, you know, he all did in light. But the one thing is kind of fucked up that he does, and it's weird, too, is that he goes in there, he goes into the bar, he fucking steals a giant barrel of fucking beer, or whatever the fuck it is. It could be whiskey, I don't fucking know. And he pours everybody outside a free drink. And then the three dogs and the fucking horse all look at him like, where's my drink, motherfucker? So he takes more fucking mugs and he busts open the damn barrel. Oh, well, he doesn't take more mugs. He just busts open the barrel and he gives 
the animals to drink directly from the alcohol that's in the goddamn barrel. Like, are you fucking kidding me? Who gives animals fucking beer? Like, does that make you cool, Brom? Like, are you now a sudden cool, dude, because you gave the animals beer? Like, they love you so much more. Oh, my God. Oh, I love you. Dogs fucking love you. Give them fucking cat shit. Okay? Give them a fucking loaf of cat shit. The dog be like, oh, fuck. I'll be your best fucking friend in the world. Or you can give them beer and get them fucking drunk. This is how Dumbo fucking happened, okay? You saw that. The heffalumps and the fucking woozles. Are we going to get... They're going to go into some fucking weird, like, psychedelic trance. And fucking go all out. And then all of a sudden, you know, the dog's going to see fucking... Shizzle Wizzles and uh, Mycelice or some shit like that. I don't know. What the fuck would you call mice and cats after you've been drunk? Not Heffalumps and Woozles, which are elephants and weasels if nobody knew. But you probably know, right? You guys have seen Dumbo. Well, anyway, so Ichabod starts rolling through town. And we, of course, get the famous Ichabod song. Odds, bodkins, gadzooks. Look at that old spook of spooks. Who's that coming down the street? Are they shovels or are they feet? Mean and lanky, skin and bone. With bows a scarecrow with hate to own. Yet he has a certain air. Townspeople all agree they've never seen anyone like Ichabod, Ichabod Crane. So they automatically kind of don't like this guy as he walks in. And he's the new teacher in town. If somebody's going to come in and be the teacher, wouldn't you kind of greet him with open arms? But no, these are all judgmental pricks that live in this fucking town. And automatically think, man, that guy's weird because... He won't walk under ladders. He won't let black cats pass him. He's very nice to women that are holding pies above their head, but then he's a fucking dick because he steals the pie. Like, why? I guess maybe that one you could probably kind of hate him on, right? He's a fucking thief. And he managed to eat the whole fucking pie in one fucking bite. I don't know people that could do that with half the shit that they eat. Like, that's fucking ridiculous. He just opens his mouth and it's fucking gone. I mean, I don't understand why he can do that. Uh, very loose jaws, I guess. Or oh, he's sucking a lot of dick. But uh, you didn't hear that from me. Uh, so he goes into the school and you see how rowdy everything is. And uh, he's busy looking through each of their lunches for some weird reason and being explains uh how good of a man ichabod actually is 
truth to say, Ichabod was a conscientious man. Never bore in mind the golden maxim, spare the rod and spoil the child. Still, he was careful to administer justice with discrimination. For it behooved him to keep on good terms with his pupils. Especially if their mothers happened to be good cooks. So it's okay for him to steal food because that still means that he's a good man. And he's looking through all the kids' lunches and whoever has the best lunch, he's going to do the least amount of pain to. Because he sees these two kind of like messing off and they're drawing a picture of him as though he was an ostrich or something. I I don't know. Kind of looks like an ostrich. I'll go with that. And he goes and he raises up his cane to beat the ever-loving shit out of the kid. But he looks at the lunch and he knows that it's overflowing with food. And hey, that's a fat fucking kid. So he must have a fat fucking mom, which he does. And that's okay to let his shit slide because he's going to make sure that he gets the food from that mom. But at the same time, I really wonder if that is an analogy for something else. Like, is, you know, does it mean more like she's got good boobs or he's going to be getting some from her or, you know, something along those lines. So we we see him have uh, his food uh, and then... They talk about what type of a ladies' man that he actually is. Who's the town's ladies' man? Gets around like nobody can. Has to be none other than Ichabod, Ichabod Crane. So while they're doing this and they talk about it, he's sitting in his bed and he's checking off a list. And this is the image that I posted up on Twitter and Facebook. Uh, that you can see, and it has a list of stuff that he's got planned. The first thing is the young lady sewing circle. Then he's got the roast turkey excellent on Tuesday. I guess somebody makes an excellent roast turkey that he's got to be there and he's got to fucking eat. Either that or he's eating that pussy, one of the two. Uh, then on Wednesday, he's got the women's tatting and uh, chatting club. I I don't think it's tattoos, okay? I think it's like tattletales or it's like the women's like uh, rumors club or something like that. But tatting and chatting just seems really weird. Though, of course, if it was a tattoo shop, you know, type of thing, you then he's going after the alternative women too, which is pretty cool. And they all can sit in the chair while he gets that uh, flaming skull tattoo or that mom rose that he's always really wanted. Maybe he's going to get a, the name of the schoolhouse or... Or one of the girls is going to be stupid enough and get Ichabod written on her back like a tramp stamp or some shit like that. And then, of course, on Thursday, he's got the ladies' auxiliary. And the last one, he's got some type of Sleepy Hollow Society thing that he's doing. He also manages, again, to reach into his back pocket, pull out a roast turkey leg, and eat the whole thing in one fucking swallow. Which, again, how does this guy fucking do that? I mean, seriously. Lots of dick. I mean, he could do anything he wanted. Big, big dick. And it could be, you know, uh, maybe he just eats really fast and got a very high metabolism. BBC. Uh, so we cut to the next morning and he's teaching the women how to sing and they're not singing very well. And he, you know, he does his little, well, actually, Bing Crosby does his little crew. Me, 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 me. 
you know, that type of thing. And in the last one, Brom puts next to him a dog that howls last thing, but still makes the ladies fall over and, you know, keel over in ecstasy because they're so impressed with him. But they're not necessarily the nicest looking ladies in town. But then, of course, his whole world is going to change because he's going to cross paths with the one that'll change his life forever. It was inevitable that such a man as Ichabod would become an object of ridicule to Brom Bones and his gang. And yet, to Ichabod, these were small matters. Indeed, the schoolmaster possessed a remarkable equanimity, which remained quite undisturbed until that fateful day when his path was crossed by a woman. A certain woman. And that woman, I'm going to let Bing describe. Katrina Van Tassel, daughter and only child of old Baltus Van Tassel, the richest farmer in the county. She was a blooming lass, plump as a partridge, ripe, melting, and rosy-cheeked. Okay, I don't get, I mean, maybe as a kid, (laughs) I didn't get some of the descriptions that well, and now you kind of think about them, you're like, oh, okay. The first being as plump as a partridge. Like, it's pump, like, he's talking about her ass. That's the only thing I can think of at this point. But he's saying he's got a nice, round, plump fucking, like, turd cutter that you can just hold on to. And then she's pure, and, you know, so she's basically a virgin, right? Uh, And then she's got really rosy cheeks, because she's got rosy cheeks. And she's pretty. So she's basically the object of everybody in town's obsession uh, and affection. And she's already got a suitor of men that she just is like, yep, all right, you guys come here. I'm going to flaunt my stuff and you're going to do stuff for me. Uh, Which I guess is progressive for 1949 uh, or not. But uh, she's... She's, okay, she's one of those, like, um, sacred uh, horror versions that you hear so much about, where, like, she flaunts herself out, but yet she's saving herself for marriage, so she gets what she wants from the, she basically is like a friend zone, like, robot. She goes around and she just points, okay, friend zone, friend zone, friend zone, friend zone, friend zone, friend zone, maybe one of these days you can get some of this, why don't you carry my shit around? And she leads them all on a wild fucking goose chase around this park, going over here no i don't want to see it okay let's go over there no i don't want to sit over there okay let's go over here and finally and then she goes over there by ichabod and totally snares her in her womanly trap so now that she's got him in her enchantment it's all that he can think about all day he's let his school run to crap and the only thing he can think about is katrina and her father's money oh katrina my love who can resist your grace, your charm? And who can resist your father's farm? Boy, what a setup. There's gold in their makers, and that ain't hay. Not to mention that lovely green stuff. Oh, Katrina, my sweet. My treasure. Treasure. <laughs> that barn's a gold mine. How I'd love to hit the jackpot. Dear Katrina, Papa's only child. Papa. 
Well, the old goat can't take it with him, and when he cuts out, that's where I cut in. Sweet Katrina, poor little rich girl. But don't worry, Katie. Ichabod will protect you. Ah, oh, yes, Katrina, you've won me. I surrender. Okay, so remember him being talked about being such a good guy? But obviously, Ichabod is really fucking gangster because he's really just going after that puss so he can go after dad's money. I mean, that's that's the ultimate goal, right? Let's wait until dad dies. I'm going to become daddy because I'm her daddy now. And I'm going to get all that fucking green, that fucking gold, and I'm going to have that farmhouse that's exploding with money. Uh, all because I can woo this lady with all my Ichabodian charm. Uh, yeah, it's pretty damn gangster. Who knew? Ichabod, original gangster. He's an OG. That's all I can say. So, there's a lot more courting that kind of goes on between uh, Katrina and Ichabod. And you have Brom, who really, really wants Katrina as well. Uh, and he can't quite figure out why Ichabod uh, has this charm over her. But it kind of really comes down to that he's a little too forward with what he is and he scares everybody off and she doesn't really like that. But I think she really does because she's trying to give him the cold shoulder to make him jealous and maybe make him like her more. Uh, because she's going to be that forbidden fruit that he can't have but Ichabod can, uh, which is really, really weird. So you have a bunch of things uh, that kind of go on, and there's a little talk about how Brom actually feels. Now, it was evident the schoolmaster was indeed a man of hidden talents, a rival to be reckoned with. Still, wars are neither won nor lost at the first encounter. The high-flying pedagogue might yet be brought to earth, for Brom Bones was never a man to cry quits. So what you see what happens before this is Brahm is basically trying to uh, do all these nice things for Katrina, take all her stuff that she bought downtown that looks like other people probably bought for her. Again, 1949. Uh, and he, he takes everything from Ichabod and goes to her house. But Ichabod somehow, because he's so infatuated with her, is able to fucking run from downtown all the way to her house and beat Brom there. Like, the guy's got fucking wheels of steel, man. He's got those legs. Those are Usain Bolt-style legs, like, or, like, robotic shit. You know, where they spin like Sonic the Hedgehog and spin really fucking fast, and he actually can get there way before anybody else is there. And this is also powered by the fact that she sent, or gave him her handkerchief, and he got that, and that was a new type of, like, testosterone for him. Uh... So, you know, he basically schools Brom uh, unintentionally, for the most part, at her house by, one, uh, getting him to carry everything to the door and then makes him drop everything. Uh, Then when he tries to punch Ichabod, he really punches through a tree, which is pretty fucking insane if you ask me that he's got that much strength. And if I was Katrina, I'd definitely be with that over fucking weak-ass Ichabod. Uh, but supposedly, uh, you know, when he gets an invite to the Halloween dance, she tries to entice Ichabod more by saying, I'm really looking forward to seeing you, something like that. And, uh, it's more or less to cause more drama because fucking Katrina is a bitch, to be honest with you. She's only here to basically, 
uh, make those two fight it out for her love, and then she's going to pick the one that fucking wins. And we all know who that's going to be. But according to Bing, this Halloween dance is going to be tremendous because, of course, Ichabod believes that. To Ichabod, here was a perfect field for his endeavors. Now, indeed, will he put his best foot forward. For beyond all his other talents, the schoolmaster prided himself upon his dancing. And you know what? His dancing fucking sucks, okay? He knows how to, like, kind of whoop-de-woo around a little circle. Of course, again, this is, you know, back in, like, colonial-style days, and then the dancing here is 1949 for the audience, so... I get, no, he still dances like shit, okay? I could fucking do that, and I can't fucking dance worth a rat's ass. I could go out there and fucking swing my little lips and legs, uh, not my lips. That, that would be very weird if I could swing my lips around. Huh. wonder how that would go. Uh, but anyway, uh, so they, they dance around, and Brom really can't keep up, and then there's a whole comedic scene where... You know, he sees those two dancing together and there's a lonely old fat lady on the couch and she's not getting anybody to come up and he thinks, hey, I can probably dance with that fat girl and then I can swap it off. And you get a trial of errors between the two where, you know, they're dancing around and he passes off the fat girl to Ichabod who originally he was into because she was one of the singing ladies that he fucking made swoon. Maybe he's just more about quantity over quality. And that's the reason why. But he really wants fucking Katrina. So they keep going back and forth to the point that, you know, she goes after him. And uh, she goes after... Brom tries to lay a trap and Ichabod won't go down it. And then when uh, the girl finds him again after he locks her in the closet, you know, he falls downstairs and he sees the stuff from outside. And he has to acquiesce that Ichabod's won another round with him. But there's something that uh, Katrina's father does every year that maybe that might just give him the edge. There was no doubt that Ichabod was the man of the hour. Brom knew that he must concede his rival still another victory. And yet there was still a chance his time would come. For when the hour grew late, Van Tassel always called upon his guests to tell him ghostly tales of Halloween. And Brom knew there was no more firm potent believer in spooks and goblins than Ichabod Crane. So before he, and the reason that he found this out is because Ichabod accidentally spilled some salt and then he threw it over his left shoulder because, you know, if you spill salt, that means that nothing's going to happen to you and you should do some stupid type of shit to make sure the spirits that don't exist don't do anything to you. So uh, he goes through and uh, is getting ready to tell the story. Now, before we do this, I want to speak to Brom directly here. And I want to talk about his choice in women. Ichabod, you know, he's, he sees the long-distance view of this thing. It's more about the money. Uh, he doesn't seem to care as much about her, even though he thinks he is kind of sweet, and it's a bonus that she's so attractive. But the matter of fact is, his final goal is, I'm going to get that cash. You know, get that skrill, make that dollar, do all that type of bullshit, and make sure that he has his future ahead of him. But you have Brom that only sees Katrina as a piece of ass, to be completely honest with you. He's in love with her because she's beautiful. Yet, the fat chick that was on the couch, I am telling you, man, those people can cook, okay? Those are going to be the ones to take care of you forever. You know, they're not worried about their superficial looks. Not all the time. Some of them are. 
and, you know, you're perfect for that type of girl because they always seem to love really burly men that aren't into fat girls. So, and I'm not fat shaming or anything like that here. Uh, but honestly, you you should just go in that direction because she's probably going to take care of you. You could be the, the house husband while she does everything. Where if you go after Katrina because she's always grown up in wealth and riches and she thinks she's the hot shit, she's probably going to be a dead fish and she's probably not going to do shit for you. So, you should have gone with the fat girl. But instead, what do you do? Well, you create a plan to spook poor Ichabod. And it kind of sucks because I understand that you want that lady and you got to get her and you got to do something. Uh, because And I feel so bad for poor Ichabod. But you also have the best fucking song uh, from the whole damn movie. And uh, you could talk about the Headless Horseman. So, without further ado, let's go. Just gather around and I'll elucidate on what goes on outside when it gets late. Long about midnight, the ghosts and banshees, they get together for their nightly jamboree. There's things with horns and saucer eyes, some with fangs about this size. Some are fat and some are thin. And some don't even wear their skin. Oh, I'm telling you, brother, it's a frightful sight to see what goes on Halloween night. <laughs> when spooks are having a jamboree, they break it up with English glee. Ghosts are bad, but the one that's cursed is the headless horseman. He's the worst. That's why he's mine on Halloween night. But when he goes to jogging across the land, Holding noggin in his hand Demons take one look and groan And hit the road for far to know Beware, take care, he rides alone And there's no spook like Spooked Spurs They don't like him and he's really burned He swears to the longest day he's dead He'll show them that he can get ahead They say he's tired of his flaming top He's got a yen to make a swap, so he rides one night each year to find a head in the hollow here. Now he likes them little, he likes them big, or in the middle or awake, black or white or even red. The headless horseman needs a head with a hip, hip and a clip and he claps. He's out looking for a top chop. Don't stop to figure out a plan You can't reason with a headless man Now if you doubt this tale is so I met that spook just a year ago Now I didn't stop for a second look But made for the bridge that spans the brook But once you cross that bridge, my friend The throw his power in So when you're riding Home tonight, make for the bridge with all your might. He'll be down in the hollow there. He needs your head. Look out, beware! With a hip, hip, and a clippity-clop. He's out looking for a head to swap. So don't try to figure out a plan. You can't reason with a headless I still love that fucking song. I don't care what anybody says. It's the the animation with everything, with Rom running around the room, 
and how the images go against the wall and the pumpkin smashing and even with Ichabod pouring all the pepper uh which doesn't look like pepper kind of looks maybe like paprika or something it's got to be something really hot because he it all pours on top of his little egg and he eats it and you know he blows fire out of his mouth and uh, who puts hot pepper in a fucking shaker uh, I, I guess maybe this will be for devil's, you know, not devil's food, but uh, a deviled egg. Uh, so maybe it is paprika, and he just put way too much of it on there. But still, like the whole thing, the creep, and this is where the kind of the creepy factor of the whole little short begins, because you have when the guy says, without the skin, and he's like back there, and he's all gray, and he's shadowed in a perfect way. And as a kid, that used to creep me the fuck out, and the, the pumpkin used to creep me out. And you, but you still laugh because you know uh, Ichabod is getting so scared, and Katrina's just laughing at him. And first he's blush, brushing it off like, "Oh no, that's nothing." <laughs> and then you see him grow more and more and more paranoid, and you just think, "Man, poor Ichabod, he is not gonna have a good ride home." So the story finishes, and then it hits midnight, and of course he's got to go home, and we get a very this is one of the you know where where the creepiness like i said it starts to set in and the the horror of this uh tale starts to set in and and being kind of explains what's going through ichabod's mind it was the very witching hour of night that ichabod pursued his travel homeward the sky grew darker and darker as one by one the stars winked out their lights and driving clouds obscured the moon from sight never had the schoolmaster felt so melancholy so utterly alone. And the nearer he approached the hollow, the more dismal he became. And you even can tell the shift in tone that Bing has had from the beginning of this whole short. It was very kind of lighthearted and funny and everything, and then all of a sudden everything is super serious when it gets to this part of the film. Uh, and this is really only the last, like, maybe 10 minutes or less for everything that goes on that really encapsulates the the feeling that you get with Ichabod. But it's done so well, and the, the animation is so fantastic. There's still some silly things that go on. But, you know, you get to feel a little more of how a paranoid man Ichabod actually is. Once inside the murky glen, Ichabod's anxiety increased a hundredfold. And now the forest seemed to close in behind him. Every small detail of Brahms' awful story returned to haunt his recollection. You've got a lot of dark colors. Everything is dark blue or black. And then you get the sounds. And he starts freaking out on everything that makes any type of sound out there. The crickets, they seem like they're crying out his name as well as the frogs. The owls are just incessantly hooting. And it's driving him crazy. He thinks he sees a ghost over in the corner. But turns out it's just two fireflies inside of a tree. And the thing that gets the most, he thinks he hears the clippity-clop of the foot uh, of the horse, of the headless horseman. And he starts running and the, the horse won't go away. And then he finds out it's a bunch of reeds hitting against a uh, a log. And he starts just laughing. And the laughing is so creepy and so well done and he's like he's just going insane from what he sees none of this is real and it's really it's kind of like a laugh of relief and a laugh of a fucking crazy person at the same time even the horse joins in on the laugh which 
is weird as how would the horse know how to laugh at this type of situation? But, of course, it's a cartoon, so you can let it slide, just like the animals drinking the beer in the earlier parts of the film. And um, then, as they're laughing, of course, then you start hearing the laugh of the headless horseman himself. And it's one of the creepier laughs. And it's actually kind of a, it's a good scene because that, I mean, that starts the whole chase sequence, which is one of the beautifully animated pieces. And this for being something that's a little more like a direct-to-DVD type of movie you'd see nowadays where the animation is still pretty good, but it's not as good as the studio stuff because they put a lot more time and effort into it. It still looks great for its time. And again, I don't want to keep you reiterating it, but it's 1949, and the animation is still fantastic, Uh, especially on the Headless Horseman, and he's holding the pumpkin, and the way the pumpkin is uh, bellowing its fire through its eyes and the top of its head and it's chasing after him, and you're getting him with the sword swings, and you're almost missing him every time, almost getting him. Then you get the silly scene where he hits the tree ledge, and he actually is on the back of the headless horseman and doesn't realize as they're both chasing each other around the tree. You also get the weird scene where the horse can run faster than he can sit on top of the horse, which is silly. So you still have these like moments of dread, because, oh my god, is he going to get him? Is he actually going to kill poor Ichabod? And then you get those silly moments at the same time that you can laugh and can enjoy as a kid. So it's a really cool mixture of the two together uh, that makes a good uh, adult film plus a good kid's film. I mean, you kind of get the best of both worlds in this little thing. So, of course, Ichabod is able to get away from the Headless Horseman. And he makes it to the bridge that Brom talks about. And as he goes through the bridge, he stops on the other side, he looks, and... The headless horseman throws the pumpkin right at him. And then we're left to wonder what the fate of Ichabod is. Next morning, Ichabod's hat was found. And close beside it, a shattered pumpkin. But there was no trace of the schoolmaster. It was shortly thereafter that Brom Bones led the fair Katrina to the altar. Now, rumors persisted that Ichabod was still alive, married to a wealthy widow in a distant county. But, of course, the good Dutch settlers refused to believe such nonsense, for they knew the schoolmaster had been spirited away by the headless horseman. He's out looking for a head to swap, so don't try to figure out a plan. You can't reason with a headless man. And that's the end of our film. Uh, like I said, this is very this is more nostalgic for me than anything else. And uh, it, kind of like Eric, I can't really judge it on the the main three things, right? So you, there is no gore, so it's a zero out of five. Uh, the fun factor for me is still a five out of five. I hadn't seen this, to be honest with you, in a couple of years, and it's still so much fun that I was smiling the entire time and singing with the songs. I still remember everything, and I hope that if you've seen this and you enjoy it, that you have the love for it that I do, and realize how much of a treasure this little short is. Uh, the Crap Factor, it's a 0 out of 5 as well, and, and honestly, it's a 5 out of 5, uh, you know, poor Ichabods, or or, you know... 
Yeah, five, five or five poor kebabs for me. Uh, it's some. It's a short that I think everybody should see. If you've never seen it before and you don't know about it, look for The Legend of Sleepy Hollow. Uh, like I said, sometimes it's packaged with um, the Mr. Toad's Wild Ride uh, along with it because it's still, you know, it has those moments in it. But this was something every Halloween when I was a kid, we'd always watch. There's always that set of shows that you watch. And I'm looking forward to seeing those uh, Halloween cartoons pop up again. You know, Halloween you know, from Charlie Brown and uh, if the Garfield one's still up. And see if there's any new ones that pop up. Uh, there's a great one from, uh, well, I don't know if you call it totally Halloween episode. But there's a themed one within Batman, the animated series, that I think everybody should see as well. And... Uh, the other one that is my favorite that I might have done if I had thought about it right away, but I think this is a better choice, but the Pinky and the Brain Halloween special uh, is fucking fantastic, and I think everybody should see that as well. Uh, not just if you're like me, a huge fucking Pinky and the Brain fans, as well as, you know, go back and watch the Treehouse of Horrors from The Simpsons, the especially the early ones. The early ones, and even some of the more recent seasons, they're still good, but they tend to move the story a lot faster then uh i would agree with but um you know the the ones that are definitely from the first couple seasons uh top fucking notch monkey's paw one is probably my favorite one uh just because it has the frozen yogurt seed in it um but um yeah so uh i would definitely check out both of these films if you have the ability to check out air Please do. It's it is only thirteen minutes of your life, and it's a very good thirteen minutes. Uh, and you know, uh, this is a lot longer. This is thirty four minutes, um, and it's only thirty four minutes of your life, and it's a very entertaining, uh, old school nostalgia classic. And you know, this was way before when I was a kid. So you you have to have some type of uh, love and admiration for old animated films. And there are things that are just a product of its time. The way women are portrayed in it, you know, some of the things that they say, uh, the innuendos that they have, uh, it, it would fly over your head as a kid. And now you look back on it and you're like, okay, that's pretty funny. But overall, it's a great short. And I think everybody should see it and should see both films. Please do if you can. All right, before we go, uh, remember that for season two for October, we are doing an episode every fucking week, and I'm going to drive myself crazy uh, doing this. But thank you to uh, Don't Go Down That Road podcast for the next suggestion. Leprechauns, born of earth magic. They were protectors of the king's gold and punish anyone who would steal it. But after the king died, they were all whisked away back into the earth, except for one. Anyone here? Yeah. I haven't smoked a good pipe in a long time. I see power coming. You filthy morphers have tried to steal my riches. Hello, love. It's a leprechaun, and he's after us. He wants his gold back. Come on! Oh. Oh. Damn! Oh. Who the fuck just took my shit? <laughs> 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 you, you compromised all you believed in once you got the gold. No more running. 
I like her. You're going back to hell tonight. How tall are you, sweetie? About three foot six. Three foot six? I make up for it in other areas. Oh, oh this is wonderful working, baby. Ooh, Hello? First he went to the hood, then he went to space, and now he's gone back to the hood. That's right, it's Leprechaun Back to the Hood, or also known as Leprechaun 6. Uh, good old Warwick Davis back as our favorite little Leprechaun, and just like the Chucky series, it went from being a serious horror film to a horror film with lots of laughs. And actually, uh, Leprechaun in the Hood is... Uh, Probably one of my guilty pleasures. It's a really dumb movie, but Ice-T is great in it. Uh, and this one I have not seen yet because uh, I was kind of avoiding it, to be honest with you. And uh, since they became my 300th follower uh, at that point, uh, they got to suggest this movie. So the next episode, we're going to watch Leprechaun Back to the Hood, uh, which you can find on YouTube, iTunes. It was on uh, Netflix Instant for a while, but I'm pretty sure you can also find it on Amazon. Uh, and a lot of those places, they have it for rent relatively cheap, like two bucks. Uh, and you can watch it right along with me and enjoy the film uh, for next time. So as always, you can follow the podcast on Twitter at T underscore T underscore podcast. If you have any type of reviews that you'd like me or movies you'd like me to review, I should say, you can always send me suggestions at terribleterrorpodcast at gmail.com or hit me up with a direct message on Twitter. You can also check out the Facebook page. It's facebook.com slash terribleterrorpodcast. And I try to post some things every once in a while uh, that are a little different that maybe I don't want to post on Twitter. Uh, I'll post some stuff there. Uh, and I might try to do some new things with it, but we'll see what happens when I say that. Almost every episode, but we'll see. Uh, but Twitter is definitely the best way to get a hold of me, besides email. Uh, and uh, yeah, I would definitely think that you guys should check out every other uh, podcast that was mentioned on this episode. Uh, they've got some really good stuff, and a lot of them are doing that 31 and 31 uh, horror movies for Halloween. So check it out and see what their suggestions are. Uh, and if you want me to hear me talk about uh, other stuff that isn't horror, you can always check out the other podcasts that I do with uh, a friend of mine called It Be Like That Podcast, uh, IBLT Podcast on Twitter. Uh, and, uh, you know, give us a listen. Tell us what you think. Uh, and as always, you can find this podcast uh, on all your favorite devices. And please rate and review us on iTunes or Stitcher or Spreaker or Google Play, wherever you're able to. Because uh, I do appreciate the feedback, and it does have uh, help me find a larger audience when I get more reviews. And I'd like to bring this to a lot more people. And I thank everybody that has listened to this podcast and all the new listeners that keep uh, popping up every time I put out a new one of these. So I hope you enjoy this episode. I know it's a little bit off the wall. I know it was a little bit different. Uh, and I really enjoyed doing it as well. So next time, Leprechaun Back to the Hood. Uh, and I'll see you then.